Hi guys, welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. My name is Sydney. And I'm Bridget. Today we're talking to Zach Scow from Marley's Mutts, an organization making a positive and lasting impact on communities by rehabilitating souls and creating second chances using the power of the human-animal bond. For the past 11 or so years, Zach Scow and the Marley Mutts crew have been such an inspiration to us. Um, we're so very happy to be able to speak to him today. Um, he's really, really made such an impact on the entire industry um, and is really making a change out there for a lot of people. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. So hi, Zach. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing spectacular. We had a, a really good week, a lot of good stuff going on and um, just trying to keep moving forward in this time of COVID and, you know, try to try to help our community, try to get some more people involved. It's, it's an interesting time because so many people are, are kind of stuck in this um, COVID holding pattern, you know what I mean? Where, where people are separated from their purpose and not, you know, they're not going to work. They're not doing the things that bring them joy or feeling a part of, you know? So there's actually a really good opportunity to reach volunteers and get people engaged to help the community because mm-hmm. they're just, they're just home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen just a- a huge increase in volunteers. Yeah, we have. I mean, it hasn't been um, earth-shattering, but it's been significant for sure. And you know, some of our friends' organizations, like a friend of mine, Laura Labelle, who runs the Labelle Foundation, one of my favorite rescue organizations, <laughs> they got three thousand foster applications. Jeez. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. That's amazing. 3,000. That's more than we've ever gotten in the history of our 11 year organization. (laughs) Wow. Well, so let's go back a little bit. Um, So we, we always like to know just like a little bit about the rescue and how it got started in general. So how did Marley's Mutts get started? Oh boy. The the (laughs) famous, how did Marley's Mutts get started? Very long winded question. So what you have to learn about me is, I am notoriously long-winded, and I will get into, you know, being vulnerable with you about my entire existence, so I will try to keep it, uh, <laughs> I'll try to just answer the question and keep it short. <laughs> so, Marley's Mutt essentially was created out of my disease. I went into liver failure in 2008 from acute, uh, it's called acute alcoholic hepatitis, stage four cirrhosis of the liver. So, I was dying of liver failure. Um, spent six weeks in the hospital and I was released. I got admitted to a transplant program. Basically said, you've got less than 90 days to live without a liver transplant. Um, You know, so essentially you're going to die and we're going to send you home so that you can either pass at home or, you know, try to work to survive six months at which point you'll be eligible for a liver transplant. So my only focus was trying to get a liver transplant. And really trying to keep dark thoughts out of my mind so that I wouldn't take my own life. And, you know, I, I, when I got home, I started working with my rescue pack. I had three rescue dogs. Um, I'd been working in the field for four years up to that point, working with my local humane society. And, uh, you know, my dogs saved my life. They put, they were there for me in so many different ways when I really wanted to take my own life. You know, I, I was going through opiate withdrawal from, from getting addicted in the hospital to morphine and Dilaudid. And my dogs were there for me through that experience, which was like a 48 hour just roller coaster of just 
about as negative of an experience as you can imagine. The pain, the, the, the just like emotional destitution. It was really, really challenging. But having my dogs there rooting me and grounding me really, really, really helped. And um, really, it was a, there was a critical moment in time where I was just ready to give up and just fall into into death and kind of just go away. And at that point, I was so upset with myself when I had had such a you know, I absolutely hated myself. I couldn't stand anything about me. You know, the man and I had the man in the mirror complex to, you know, infinity. I really, really had a hard time with myself. You know, I was going through all the things that I'd done in life, all the people that I'd hurt, um, how sick I was and how scared I was of dying. Um, and all those things just made life almost impossible to deal with. Um, but really was able to kind of live through my dogs, you know, um, after when I started walking my dogs after I got out of the hospital, you know, I couldn't get far. I could only get like a block up in the mountains, but I'd do it several times a day. And I started to at least stop focusing on my death or my impending death or what was happening to me. And I started focusing on them, on their happiness, on their ability to be in the moment. And um, that really helped me stop feeling sorry for myself and get into a cause other than me. You know, my biggest problem was being trapped in my own head. And so that's what we started doing. You know, I started, I got back with the Humane Society and I asked them, hey, you know, I know I'm not doing very well, but would you, would you guys mind letting me foster again? And I said, absolutely, you know, and, and they've been really pivotal throughout my entire experience. So the whole organization wrote letters for me to the transplant hospital to, to help get me admitted to the transplant hospital. Mm -hmm. And it was a really, really wonderful kind of family experience. They, they were really great. Um, so that's what we did, you know, and the minute I started fostering again, it, it helped me stop thinking about myself. I just put all my effort into, into taking pictures, into rehabilitating, into writing these biographies. And this was pre-social media. So at the time I was putting posters up all over town. And really what happened is people saw this sick guy, you know, I was yellow. I was very, very ill looking. You know, I looked like the sickest sick person, you know, you've ever seen. So um, my, 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 community took notice, you know, and I started going to schools and I started going to high schools, grade schools, other institutions to talk about my dog, Marley, who's my savior. He's a Rottweiler pit bull. And, and everything just kind of started to develop. We weren't an organization. Marley's it was never an idea. I never wanted to start a dog rescue. I never planned on doing this. It was just one of those things that when I got out of the hospital and started getting into this work, it just took on a mind of its own and my community really supported me and people started volunteering and we started having a ton of adoptions and, and it was just on from that point. And um, back then there was no real like mutt rescues and all the dogs I'd had were mixed breed dogs. So Marley was my pack leader. Mutts were the dogs I loved. So <laughs> Marley's mutts were born. Mm -hmm. wow. and, and that was and 11 that was years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, I mean, and I feel like the rest is history, right? <laughs> it's just grown yeah. so much from there. <laughs> yeah, if you graphed it on a chart, it's kind of been a, a vertical ascent. I mean, we had such a, a whirlwind ascent back in the kind of 2011 through 2014. when We had a little feature from Oprah and, and, and Facebook back then had different algorithms. So everybody was seeing our stuff. We were reaching mm -hmm. sometimes almost 5 million people a week, you know, it was mm -hmm. out of control. And um, so it was a very meteoric rise. And, uh, and yeah, we've just been focused on, on the human animal bond, you know, expanding on the human animal bond and the idea of, of rescuing animals, helping rescue people. 
you know, what had happened in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, my dogs took kind of injected themselves into my lives and, and did for me what I couldn't do for myself, which was focus my mind on something else. You know, I was very egotistical, you know, um, my, my sponsor likes to say I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, which means I, I don't think much of myself, but that's all that I think about, you know, uh, the kind of a piece, piece of piece of crap at the center of the universe complex. Um, but working with my dogs, you know, helped me get away from that and helped me feel a sense of purpose and a sense of hope that I had never felt before. You know, it always felt very worthless. You know, like if I, if I was scratched off the face of the earth, it wouldn't really, no one would really take notice and it wouldn't be a much of a loss um, because I, you know, what was I doing here anyway, other than causing people pain and myself pain. And so to get involved in something where I felt like I was doing good and, and that I was good at it, you know, I really felt like this was something I was good at and that I could, I could talk about the dog very vulnerably and emotionally. And I could talk about my own experience very vulnerably and emotionally. And I, I think that was the key to Marley's Mutts was so much of it was focused on, on, just little simple write-ups about this or that. And and I wanted to focus on how my dogs helped save my life and how, you know, people with depression and, and addiction and alcoholism problems can be so positively influenced by dogs, by working with their dogs. And, um, and that's what happened for me. So we, we, you know, we focused on that idea and that was, that's what led to positive change, which is our inmate canine training program. Um, We're active in six, state facilities including a girls juvenile hall which is um just one of my favorite things in the world and it's the only live-in rescue dog program where where rescue dogs live alongside juvenile offenders in prison and uh i just you know it's my favorite thing you know my dogs help give me a second a second go round and a second chance and i think they can do that for other people you know there's there's something so special about the reciprocity and reciprocation of love that dogs give but there's also mm-hmm something very, very important about how accepting they are of who you are, regardless. You know, they, um, I've always had, I have a hard time accepting me. You know, I have a hard time accepting me. Imagine how hard it is for, (laughs) you know, how hard it makes that for other people. But my dogs have always accepted me exactly for who I am. And I think that has made all the difference. Have you had a lot of them? Oh, sorry, Bridge. Have you had a lot of uh, success with that um, positive change program? Oh yeah, I mean it's been it's been out of control. We 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 keep expanding. We started with one program at California City um, four and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and it's quickly grown to like I said, what we have two programs at North Kern State Prison. One of those is a partial you know veterans development program. The we have another at Wasco State Prison, California City Correctional Facility. Um, Tehachapi, which is California Correctional Institute, Tehachapi. We're working on a program at Norco, which will launch when this is done. That's in Riverside. And then obviously Juvenile Hall. So mm-hmm. we have all these programs and we've graduated, I think, close to 500 men oh, wow. uh, and girls and, um, you know, adopted something like 250 dogs throughout that experience and mm-hmm. um, fundamentally changed the lives of so many uh, ex-convicts, you know, returning citizens, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of our guys who served tons of time. I mean, guys that have been in prison for well over a decade, sometimes, you know, two decades have gotten out of prison. Some of these guys spent years in our program and, uh, in our program, they're, they're training 13 and a half hours a day with their dogs, you know, mm-hmm. for, for 14 weeks for, for three and a half months. Oh, wow. So 
they are such they're such good trainers and you know we have the best trainers in the world that work on this program you know very accomplished just mm -hmm. uh, i can't say enough about kim and leah and and sam and lisa and robert and all the people that we've used john and ty they're just so dedicated to the cause and they're so open-minded and loving and and they're so into this that it, it it's really a people helping people you know fundamentally change it fundamentally changed all of our lives that we get to do this work in prison and really aid the most vulnerable people the people that need it the most because when these guys get out of prison you know no one wants to be no one wants to give them an opportunity and if they don't have an opportunity they're going back to prison and going back to prison means creating another victim so really what we're trying to do is not only provide opportunity for these guys but lessen the amount of victims that are created which send people back to prison you know, 86% of violent offenders will end up back in prison. Uh, and that means those 86% have, you know, created more victims. And um, we want to stay away from that. And we want to really tap into the potential of all these, all of these Americans, you know, these are people forget that, that uh, people who are incarcerated have, you know, essentially limitless potential to, um, to help this world. And they've also been through something so difficult. You know, anybody who's been through a, a long prison term, you know, a bid that's that's 10 years or more, or, or even has been to prison at all, you know, has, has my respect to a certain degree, because it's very challenging. And if they can maintain their humanity and even improve on their humanity while they're locked up, you know, my hat's off to you. That's really impressive. Yeah, that's so inspiring. My gosh. And some, yeah, and many of those guys are now dog trainers on the outside. I mean, Jason Morey's got to be the most popular dog trainer in all of Orange County. You know, he's got 13,000 followers or something on, you know, Instagram and Jamal Henderson and a bunch of other guys that you would never in a million years think that they were professional dog trainers, you know, looking at them, you might think they were, had been into prison, but they're incredibly intuitive, you know, well-balanced human beings that have a great potential in behavior modification. I mean, some of the dogs that Jamal and Jason have rehabilitated, I don't know that anyone could have, I mean, they've really been challenging and these guys, uh, they have kind of a sixth sense about how to relate and connect with dogs because of the work they did in prison. And it's it's really helping change the whole trajectory of animal welfare, you know, in a lot of these communities. You know, when we, when we start to allow second chances like people who are returning from prison, you know, into this, this economy, this pet industry, it's just, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, we, we desperately need behavioral you know, tr you know, trainers and um, behavior modif modifiers, I guess, people who understand canine behavior. And uh, because so many dogs are being adopted from shelters and a lot of dogs that come from shelters may have certain neuroses or kind of behavioral issues that need to be tweaked or, or focused on. And our guys are so good at addressing these dogs because they went through so many of them in prison and, and um, they saw a lot of energies, a lot of different types of dogs and they're capable of training just about anybody. So I'm, I'm just very proud of all of it. And I think everybody, I can speak for everybody on our team. You know, we just want to see this in every prison in America. We want to see the, the, the medicine that is rescue dogs helping transform the lives of people to make them better because we we've seen it work and we know what it's capable of, what kind of, you know, what kind of medicine these dogs possess. And uh, we want to kind of see how far we can take it, you know, how much there's, I think we've only scratched the surface of the human canine bond and, and what we can achieve together in terms of making our lives better and our pets lives better. And that's, that's like our primary focus as an organization. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And I mean, the idea that you're addressing something
that is such a big issue. I mean, when, when a pet has a medical need, it's very evident what they need and why they they may need like funding and things like that to go along with it. But people don't understand. I think if a pet has a temper, temperament issue, that that stands in the way of it finding its forever home and moving on and, and having a really great life. And it's it's something that can be overcome. It's not like a bad dog. <laughs> it's just a dog with a temperament issue is something that can be trained out. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people that can handle it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so how have things been going in quarantine for you then? We kind of touched on it a little bit, but I mean, mm-hmm. so you've gotten a little bit of fosters. You said you've had a really good week. What, what happened this week? Yeah, a lot of adoptions. Tons of adoptions. <laughs> We've had uh, many, many uh, bully breed adoptions, probably eight. So we only have a, a handful of dogs at the ranch. So as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm headed to the city of Bakersfield Animal Care Center and I'll pick up a St. Bernard who's been there for a week and uh, bring him up to the ranch. We got a bull terrier that's coming up in a few days and another dog, uh, cattle dog that's coming in that's deaf and blind. And so we're we're really, um, we're kind of enjoying the, the hard reset that quarantine will provide. But we're, we've never been more busy because, you know, we're applying for loans to try to be able to pay all of our employees and contractors or, um, because everything in prison is on hold indefinitely, you know, most likely until June. So all of our programs stopped. Um, thank God we have, we actually have 15 dogs living in prison through quarantine. So we have two full classes that are at North Kern in California City that are taking care of our guys. And that brings me a lot of joy to know that we have dogs because I think about our guys, you know, they, it worries me. I think about what they're going through in prison through this quarantine and um, to know that our dogs are there to keep them comfortable and, and keep them feeling, you know, uplifted is really great. Well, but, Steve, uh, but overall, you know, it's been a really interesting time. And in, in just like you guys touched on, you know, people are kind of, people are more focused on what's online now because they have so much time on their hands. So I think there mm-hmm. are more people taking notice, more people wanting to be involved. I mean, we've had an increase in adoptions, increase in fosters. Uh, and then we've been focusing on just feeding our community. That's been our, our other project that's been going on is we're, we're a very poor county, Kern County. And uh, with oil prices being so low and agriculture being hit so hard, we're struggling. I mean, everyone in our community is having a hard time. So we were getting a lot of messages from people who have run out of food who are saying we're going to have to give up our animals or they're feeding mm-hmm. their dogs cat food or bread. or So we've been the last couple of weeks, you know, doing massive deliveries of dog food to diff- to basically anybody who needs it. And that's oh, been really successful. Well, so, and then, so you have these dogs in the prisons. Oh, can you tell us a little bit more about the ranch and are you foster based as well? Where, where do you keep all your animals basically? Yeah. Yeah. So our animals are spread out through three different places. Um, one is the ranch. So we have camp golden years is at the ranch. That's about 20 senior and hospice care dogs that are just kept there that hang out at camp golden years and do their thing. And there's a lot of, Joel's been having a lot of adoptions, which has been great. A lot of fosters have stepped up to, to be able to take some of those seniors into their homes instead of having them at the ranch. Um, and we also have a bunch of fosters. You know, we've had up to maybe 120 fosters and then down to sometimes 30 fosters. You know, um, depending on school year times, you know, we have a lot fewer fosters when, when vacation and summer is going on because people have their kids and it's just a madhouse. So, um, you know, everything kind of fluctuates. And then obviously prison. So those are the three locations, the foster, the ranch, and then, you know, when things are healthy, we usually have about 50 dogs in prison. 
Wow, that's great. I mean, yeah, I mean, and to think that it it grew out of just your passion for for your your one dog. That's that's so great to think about. I mean, all of these different programs, and I'm sure you're just going to keep growing from here. So the big impetus for prison was, you know, a buddy of mine got out of prison. We gave him a dog named Shadow who had been shot. Uh, He had been in prison for a long time. And uh, when he got out, he could have gone either way, you know, and we got him a dog and and he and he's turned into be just an incredible human being. He's done a lot with his life and he has his own dog rescue now, you know, and uh, a former gang member of 13 years in prison for, you know, violent crimes and um you know really tapped into his altruism and became a uh, dog rescuer himself his his group is called strength of shadow rescue shadow is the dog we adopted to him and um yeah he's even batting around the idea of a prison program he told me last week so i uh, wish him luck on that that's yeah that's amazing yeah, just so many so, good things are coming out of it i know <laughs> well so i mean 11 years well i mean i guess 11 years Marley's Mutts, but you were working kind of in rescue for years before mm-hmm. that. So you've got a lot of experience. Um, what do you, mm-hmm. what do you think has been the the greatest part about rescuing for you? I think the, for me, you know, being a person who's struggled with depression and other, I guess, mental afflictions that tell me I'm not, not good enough. You know, um, the best part of it has been giving me purpose and hope, you know, it's giving me something to take my focus away from me and away from whatever negative things my mind is trying to tell me and focus on something other than myself and being of service. And, you know, when you get into a service over self and you, you dedicate your life to something other than yourself, um, it, uh, it has a way of, I guess, inspiring you to think differently. And, and it, it has helped me, move into a place of self-love and you know i was having a hard time going to sleep last night and i was repeating to myself you know you're you're good enough you're worthy you're good enough you're worthy you know you're loved which i don't usually do i'm not usually that superficial when it comes to like mantras but you know i i can feel it now i can i can hear myself say that and i can go yeah yeah that's the reality you know all of this other stuff your mind tells you or your subconscious tells you about not being good enough isn't true you know think about what you've done and, and what you've um, but it's also a brutal community, you know, it can be tough. You know, I, I just got off the phone with Nikki from Road Dogs and, you know, there are people that I can connect with and really feel uplifted by. You know, there's a community of folks here that are just so wonderful and so supportive and we all have each other's back. And you need that in this work because you're mm-hmm. constantly losing lives and you're constantly ba- uh, battling dark, you know, forces. But, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of virtue signaling and there's a lot of rescues attacking other rescues and you know for for one thing or another that to me in many cases seem inconsequential or or almost unnecessary unkind and and even cruel there's a lot of targeting and a lot of um it's just sad to see you know people are they try to cancel out people they try to Mm -hmm. end people you know it happened to me regardless of what you know the however many 16 years i've been doing this you know people will will pick up on one thing and they'll want to end you for it and, and, mm-hmm. and they'll send you death threats and threats to your family, child, your business, all these things. And, and, um, you know, I was really, I was really taken back by, by that getting kind of chewed up and, and spit out by, by, by my own community to a degree. But then I kind of weeded through the, what the reality was. And the reality is that, you know, people are very, very supportive and we have a mm-hmm. lot of love and that, 
sometimes the 0.01% of, of evil people and of kind of, maybe not even evil, just people who are hurting, man. It's, people are mm-hmm. out there hurting. And when you're hurting, you know, you, you want to make other people hurt. So you that's do need it. And, and that's kind of all, all that it is. And a lot of us in rescue, you know, we, we typically come from, from a background of, of injury. We come from a background of, of addiction or recovery or, or um, you know, childhood injury or loss or whatever. So there's a lot of, I think, trauma that the people, you know, because why else would you, you know, a lot of people who put themselves into service work like this, where you're, you're working seven days a week, you know, 12 hours a day, no matter what, for something other than yourself, you know, it's a, it's a big commitment and it's a, it, it will wear you down. I mean, it will really, really, really wear you down. So, so when we do have, you know, support, you know, there's, there's people that I can talk with and, and relate to like, John Flores from I Pity the Bull or Ty from Reverse Rescue or like I said, Nikki or Laura. There's so many, there's a lot of great people now. So I think um, there's a lot of of rescuers who want to help other rescuers and Mm want to be respectful of their mental state, right? Like this work is so important. And if we keep pushing people out of this work, we're not going to make the progress we need to make within animal welfare. It's been kind of a, you know, a bit of a sick mental space. And now that, that we understand that we need to sustain this. We need to keep going for the sake of these animals. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot more support. A lot of people coming together and saying, Hey, you know, I, I love you and I appreciate you and, and let's work together and let's do this instead of being at odds with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's been really beautiful to see, you know, there's like the Rocky Kanakas of the world. There's a lot of people that just want to help. And I love that. And, and um, there are still people that just want to tear others down and just want to post, you know, disgusting videos of terrible things happening mm-hmm. to dogs and that's just not something I can I can be involved in you know I have to just for the sake of my own mental wellness and, and the work that we're doing stay positive you know yeah definitely I mean that's something I think we've seen just so much in in the years that we've worked with things I mean you think that everyone working together for the same goal everyone would be banding mm-hmm. together um, but there is a bit of that animosity here and there and but you but I feel like things have been evolving and people have been coming together. Rescues have been kind of um, like joining forces because you can do just so much more when you're mm-hmm. partnering rather than fighting each other. I mean, Lord knows you're, yep. you're already fighting so many other things, wh- whether it comes mm-hmm. to like funding space, like the, the different ailments that you're encountering with an animal. I mean, you really, there's no time to fight with each other. <laughs> and overall, it's all the same wow. mission. Everyone's just working for the bettering of animal lives and animal welfare. So um, yeah. I think once everyone kind of gets on that same wavelength, um, the little differences or the little squabbles, they they seem, I guess, not mm-hmm. not as... Oh, yeah, consequential, they really looking. are. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I think it's, um, it's difficult because we have a tendency to think, especially if an organization is in your area, that you're competing for a limited resource, which is donors, right? You're competing for a limited resource of donors, a limited resource of adopters, a limited resource of fosters. So I know for people in our community, it felt like for other organizations, it felt like we were getting so big that maybe there wasn't room for them. And I think what we've really discovered is that there's room for all of us. And the number of of rescues, when I first started, I think there was only like a couple dozen registered nonprofits in, in our area that dealt with animals. And I mean, LA and Kern County, there were not very many. Now there's something like 600, you know, there's a ton Um, and there's room for everybody. There's room and we all deserve to be here. We're all in a, in a 
field of work where we're trying to um, give back to the animals that have given so much to us. And there's room for all of us to do that. There, this doesn't have to be a competition. You don't have to tear down others to build yourself up. Um, you know, just gotta, and, and I keep focusing on, on attracting new talent. You know, the, the way that we're going to, I was wondering when we'd have our first dog bark. <laughs> I secluded my dog so that I wouldn't have a bark. I usually always have it. You gotta have, if it's a rescue podcast, you gotta have a dog. <laughs> Absolutely. Benjamin, he's but, just protecting uh, the house. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just, I just think if we're going to, if we're going to make the United States no kill, if we're going to if we're going to keep doing these wonderful things and, and really make a, a difference in, in the work that we're trying to make a difference in, we have to work together and we have to support one another. We certainly have to not turn one another down. And um, I think it's, it's, I, we're definitely headed in the right direction and there's a lot of great people that have joined this effort. A lot of, a lot of uh, kind of quote unquote no, normal people who have uh, gotten involved in this work. And it's, it's great because we need the best and the brightest if we're going to be able to help the animals that have helped us. So totally. um, I hope we can and continue I love on that how- track. It's. It sounds like you've had so many people that have been with your organization too that have just gone off and been so inspired that they're starting their own rescue too. And I love that you're, like, people are taking that away and being like, I can do this. Like, say, we help can keep spreading this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Quite a few people actually, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so, and you obviously kind of started off a little bit smaller, but granted with a, a little bit of experience in your back pocket, but um, I mean, we work with so many small and maybe mid-level rescues um, and they're always looking for ways to grow. And I was wondering if you could maybe speak to what you think the keys to growth in rescue has, have been for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my, uh, we started in my dad's garage. I lived in my dad's like workshop and that's where Marley's month started. I was in liver failure. I had, didn't have two nickels to rub together. I owed $900,000 to Bakersfield Memorial hospital. You know, we, we read no money, um, deathly ill. You know, it was about as low and as small as you can start, you know, was with nothing. And, um, the way I got people to pay attention to me was speaking on my experience. I was talking about what the dogs have done with me and really opening myself up vulnerably about what I was experiencing. Uh, the world was new to me when I got sober. You know, I, I drank every day, all day for many years. I mean, I was a 24 hour a day drinker and user. And so when I got sober, I had to relearn how to do everything. And I was scared to death, uh, scared to death. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't driven sober in a decade, you know, so I just shared about it. I talked about it. And, and, and when people out there, relate to you and they start to learn you and know you and, and, and applaud you for opening up and then it causes them to open up and then they feel an emotional exchange. You know, if you're sharing something from within you and they want to share something back and, and we develop these connections through social media, even though they're electronic connections, they're, they're beautiful. And, and people start to open up about, you know, childhood sexual trauma or, or addiction or alcoholism or any of the things that I've been through, people start to relate to. And then you build these really profound bonds that are, that are even more than, than animals or rescue. And, uh, but we all have in common that, that we, we cherish and, and we, that we cherish the human canine bond and the medicine within that. So that's kind of the common denominator is, is our love for dogs, but then it becomes bigger and greater than that. There becomes this community and, and there becomes this, this um, open exchange of vulnerability. And, and that's, that's what did it for me was just trying to be a little bit different in how I wrote biographies, how I took pictures and how I shared my own journey about what these dogs do for me. And um, 
Yeah, it's been, I think that was the key. So for smaller organizations, what, what I would say is to try to maybe find something unique about your, your like, the knit, the niche that you're trying to focus on. So find something unique that, that makes you different. Um, and then just speak vulnerably from the heart, you know, really talk about what it means to be a rescuer to you. Talk about what these dogs, the emotional effect these dogs have on you. Because if you're just posting, hey, this is Fluffy, she's three years old, isn't she pretty, she needs a home, um, that doesn't mean much. But it's it's all about telling stories, you know. I, I think this is the best advice I would give to smaller or you know, smaller organizations is tell stories. You know, most of the public will never get to go into a full animal shelter of barking dogs who are all looking down the barrel of potential death and get to save a life, you know, and, and us as rescuers with social media accounts, we get to go into the shelter and bring our community along with us, show them and save lives together. You know, they may not physically be with us, but that's what people want to see. And they want to see this positivity. And they want to see people doing good things together and helping helping save lives. And, and um, that's what's so beautiful. These stories of resurrection and these second chances and, um, I think dogs really show us what we're capable of in terms of getting through difficult physical injuries or difficult emotional situations, you know, because dogs feel PTSD too. And, mm-hmm. and we get to watch these, these tremendous triumphs. Like, you know, I'm looking at a picture of Hooch right now who's one of our dogs, you know, he had his tongue cut out, he has ears cut off. And, you know, we thought, Oh God, this is, this dog's going to die for sure. We're not going to, we don't know what to do with him. You know, can we, feed him through a tube the rest of his life, you know, and, and he figured it out. He went on to win the American Humane Hero Dog Awards. And, mm-hmm. and it's just this beautiful story of resurrection, despite terrible things that were done to him, you know, and um, yeah. So the, the getting to tell those stories and share those stories, is just beautiful, beautiful stuff. I, yeah. that. I mean, it's so true. I mean, I think so many people have this goal of like, maybe like a sterile perfection too. But I think when you get down into that nitty gritty vulnerability, I mean, that's when like amazing connections happen and people really start to feel like you're a human being, you know, <laughs> um, and they can really relate to you. Personal. It, definitely. Well, so you have a family. Yes. <laughs> I do. Like a human family, I guess I should yeah, say. Right. <laughs> um, um, yes, a large, yeah. large canine and sea lion 